I love therapy, and in fact, I've been going to therapy since I was around six years old. Though I talk about therapy a lot and may interview some therapists on the show on occasion, nothing that is said in this podcast should be considered a replacement for therapy. If you are struggling, I urge you to please seek guidance from a therapist because you are absolutely worth it. dating, relationships, sex, and self-love. Uh, I feel like I should be recording this in more of a whispery ASMR voice. Um, <laughs> it, my apartment has been very quiet all day, and I kind of surprised myself when I started talking. Just the volume <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere and surprised me. Uh, and it's I'm recording this very late, much later than I would normally record an intro. But um, what are you going to do? Uh, hey, it's a bonus episode. It's our second bonus episode. Uh, you know, like I, I said when I aired Allison's bonus episode, our first, um, I have a very large backlog of interviews and I want to air them. And sometimes, you know, something comes up like somebody has a workshop that they want a promo or, um, you know, in the case of Allison's interview, it was uh, PMDD Awareness Month. Um, in this case, my guest has a book that just came out. My guest today is Jeff Lamb. He is a psychotherapist, and um, he just released a book called Sexual Grounding Therapy, Context, Theory, and Practice, and it came out on May 17th, 2021, just last week. So because I had it, uh, I figured it would be a good time to release it. Um, you know, he's doing promo for his work right now, and um, I have the interview, so let's 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 do it. And uh, yeah, and I I have the interview, so we're gonna air it. Uh, I'm excited because this is the first male guest that I am airing. Um, you know, I've done a few interviews in the last couple weeks with some male guests, but this is the first one that I'm actually getting to air. So that is exciting. Always good to have different types of opinions and different types of people. Very important to me um, and for the ethos of this network in general, actually. So that's very exciting. A cool fun fact is that uh, Jeff's book was published by Routledge, which is a company that I don't remember. It's been quite some time, maybe as a subsidiary, but it's somehow connected to a company that I actually uh, worked for a number of years back and that I actually made some of my closest friends working at this company. So I thought that was just kind of an, a neat little connection. This is definitely an episode in which you are going to want to check out the episode notes. Uh, we discuss a number of different psychotherapists, some of which I had never heard of. Um, lots of different um, books that Jeff mentions um, and people to study. So this is an episode that's going to be chock full of different things for you to read up on and learn more even after you're done listening to the episode. Uh, loved Loved, loved, loved all of these resources. I can't wait to dive into them myself. Another cool thing that Jeff sent me after our interview was a article on The Guardian. 
uh, called Love in an Old Climate, Posters Celebrate the Joy of Sex in Later Life. And that's what we talk about today. Um, We're talking about development, sex, aging, relationships, and how those things change as you get older. Because just because, you know, you, you get a little bit older and you know, your body's changing and, you know, you've been with the same person maybe for a longer period of time. That doesn't mean that sex goes away. That doesn't mean that sex is off the table and we don't really talk about it a lot, but, uh, older people have sex too and rightly so. And I hope that I'm having awesome sex when I'm older too. That's what I hope for. Uh, so yeah, these, these images are absolutely beautiful. Um, and I would encourage you to look them up. I'll probably, I'm, I'll probably post them on my Instagram and I'm definitely going to put them in the episode notes. So check them out there. Very cool. Um, I told a friend about this interview. Uh, You know, we were out for like happy hour or something and I had mentioned that I was going to do this interview and the next day she sent me the same uh, photos from, from the same article on The Guardian. I was like, oh my gosh, my, you know, interviewee actually just sent me this. So um, really cool, really relevant to what we're talking about today. So uh, I'm not going to blather on for much longer, partially because it's late uh, over here, but also because I kind of just want you to start learning from what Jeff has to offer. Um, Check out the book, check out the resources. um, And, you know, maybe we'll have him back on here at another point in the future. Just uh, uh, such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, So uh, give me your feedback, rate, review, subscribe, and follow me on all of the socials, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Um, There'll be some more socials coming out at some point. I'm really resistant to the idea of getting a TikTok uh, as as a millennial, Um, but I I know that I will. Uh, The the poll is strong. The poll is strong with TikTok, so you'll be able to find me there eventually. Okay, everyone, going to cut to a quick commercial here and then uh, enjoy my interview with Jeff Lamb and check out his book, Sexual Grounding Therapy, Context, Theory, and Practice. Hey there, I'm Megan Martin, and I put the manic in Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I'm Janelle Megan, and I'm a self-proclaimed Bond girl, and I make every conversation way too deep. We are both professional actors, producers, and models. Cause and Creation is a podcast where we talk about all things creative, including interviewing other awesome artists that are breaking new ground. We'll be taking a deep dive into who they are, the work they do, and more importantly, what moves them as artists. You'll get an inside look into the minds of award-winning filmmakers who are promoting new content, writers who are on the first draft of their novel, video game designers who are creating a whole new world from scratch, and so much more. If you want to get to know a creative, or just want to get to know us. Come hang out with us at Cause and Creation every other Thursday. Cue the applause. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am here today with my guest, Jeff Lamb. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. Great. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. this is a topic that everybody's going to deal with at some point in their life. Um, so today we're going to talk about relationships, sex, and aging. Super mm-hmm. excited. Um, so to start, how about you tell me a little bit about yourself, like how you got started in this research, um, you know, what interests it about you, um, and just about you yourself in general. Okay, so I've been uh, practicing as a psychotherapist 
for probably 36 years now. I started in 1985. Um, and originally I trained in a, a model of psychotherapy which was based on the work of Wilhelm Reich, um, who worked a lot with um, sexuality way back in the 1920s in Austria. Um, so I guess sexuality has always been part of my work, um, having had that influence. Um, I then went on to train as a couple therapist, and so I was working a lot with relationships. Um, and then more recently, I trained in psychosexual therapy, um, particularly the work of um, a guy called Willem Papelliers. Um, and so I started working more um, explicitly with um, sexuality and sexual relationships. That's really cool. Um, so what kind of work have you been doing with clients? Is it mostly talking through things? Um, and how did you start to get into like the actual subject of aging and sexuality? Okay. Well, okay. There's, uh, there's two different um, things there. One is, um, yeah, uh, when I'm working with clients, it is mostly talking, um, but I'm very much uh, centered on people's awareness of their own bodies. So either with individuals or with couples, I will suggest um, exercises that they can do either on their own or together to increase their uh, sense of their own comfort with their own bodies and being more familiar with how their bodies work, particularly sexually, and also with the couples of um, how they can make both emotional and sexual contact at the same time. So particularly, just for example, I will get people to do a lot of eye contact exercises um, as a way of becoming, um, I don't know, connected with one another at an emotional level before you get down to connecting sexually. And uh, I've, I've found that couples find this quite challenging um, because that's not something people do, <laughs> you know. And it's lovely yeah. if you can have eye contact with your partner during sex, um, and, but a lot of people don't do it, um, and it's always, you know, surprising to me in a way that it's not something that people generally do, but that's something that I do. Coming back to this issue of um, sexuality, relationships, and ageing, one of the things that uh, the method of psychosexual therapy I trained in, which is called sexual grounding therapy, one of the principles that we work with there is lifelong psychosexual development. Um, and that's quite unusual, I guess, unique, um, in that I guess most um, developmental models of psychotherapy and psychosexual therapy assume that our development is more or less complete by the time we become young adults, whereas I think the sexual grounding model tends to follow the sexual development and look at how sexuality evolves as we get older. And it, 
And um, so that really interested me. And obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but uh, since I've been practicing for 36 years, um, I'm not in the first flush of youth myself. I'm 69 years old. And so obviously some of this is also involving my own personal experience of my own sexual life and how that has evolved over the years. And that's an interest to me, of course. Definitely. And it's so fascinating that, have you read Esther Perel? Have I read Esther Perel? Yes. I've read some of her work. I think the particular um, book I read was on uh, uh, about, it was called The State of Affairs. Yes, Um, yes, yes, yes. And uh, at that time I was working with, um, you know, couples who had had affairs and I just wanted to get a a, a different approach to it. Um, I think what she says seems to match quite a lot with how I work. Definitely. I mean, she, I've listened to, she has a podcast um, about couples therapy and uh, she does the same thing about the eye contact exercises and uh, indeed yes it's, it's really fascinating um i i really admire that work um one of her other books is called mating in captivity and yes. uh, it talks kind of about uh when you are together for a long time there yeah. is some like mystery that is lost so mm-hmm. i guess one of the questions that i have for you is you know Life is long, and uh, you know a lot of people get married in their twenties, their thirties, and maybe you know they get married later in their forties or fifties. Um, how do you maintain a exciting, sexual, vulnerable, intimate life with your partner over such a long period of time? Yeah, that's that's a really important question, and it's one that does come up quite a lot in my work. Um, I guess the key word that you use there is exciting. And I think there's a lot of confusion around excitement. When we first get together in in a couple relationship, everything about the relationship is exciting um, because it's new. (laughs) And uh, we are excited by each other. We fall in love with each other, at least I hope we do. And, um, you know, there is this idea that I found this person at last who really understands me, who really gets me. And, you know, having sex with them is different. And um, so there is that initial excitement. But, of course, as you're saying, this does not last. There's no way that it can because we get used to each other. We, we get used to how um, the sexual contact that we make with each other is. And I guess if we're not aware of that or if we're still looking for that same kind of excitement that we um, had at the beginning of the relationship, say, five, six, seven years into the relationship, then we're obviously going to be disappointed. And that's, you know, what uh, Esther Perel writes about, particularly in the book about affairs, 
that there is a sense, one of the things that she says that resonates very much with me and the way I work is that an affair can often result from the fact that I have a feeling that I can't express all of me in this relationship, that I can't explore the whole of my sexuality and other parts of my personality. Um, but that's, um, I mean, she uses that as a way of explaining affairs, and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But in the way that I work is that I work with couples and individuals to say to ask themselves the question, well, how come I'm not allowing myself to express all of me? Mm. Now, one of the things that happens in this is that we blame that on our partner. Yes. So if she was less uptight, I would be able to be more adventurous sexually, whatever we mean by that. Okay. Or variations on that kind of theme, you know. Um, well, actually, that's putting too much responsibility on the other person and not really looking at what it is in you that stops you expressing the whole of you and yeah. uh, in the relationship. One of the particular things I look at, and it, as I say, comes also from that eye contact exercise, is the idea of vulnerability in sex. I think that's so important. I'm just not everything that you're saying right now. Thank you. Thank nodding. you. Nodding. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. So one of the things that often we expect for all sorts of reasons, and there are so many different reasons for this, is that um, we, we tend to kind of regard sex as a performance and so of typically a lot of men are very concerned that they are able to uh, get an erection and to last long enough to give the woman an orgasm and actually I think what I when I talk to a lot of women you can tell me if that's if I'm right here Women don't actually like that. It puts too much pressure on them yes, in absolutely. another way. Um, and for women, you know, maybe as a response to that, but maybe something in themselves are putting themselves under pressure to have an orgasm, mm -hmm. to be ready for sex when they maybe aren't or whatever. So there's a lot of pressure involved. Absolutely. And when you're doing that, then you are closing yourself off to your own intimacy with yourself and your intimacy with your partner. And especially, you're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable with your partner. And yes. um, But the other thing, just coming back to this business of excitement, being vulnerable with a partner, I find is intrinsically exciting because you're letting go of control. So you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to be. You don't know how the sex is going to be. Mm. You're not sure, you know, what mood or frame of mind your partner is in. You're not sure quite how your body is going to be. And allowing that is exciting in itself. Yes. So then you don't have to look for this kind of 
highly stimulating kind of excitement, which it is at the beginning, everything being different and a new partner and everything, you can relax from that. You can go more into intimacy. You can go more into discovery of who I am sexually, who my partner is sexually. And that is exciting in itself. Absolutely. That's so well put. Um, and I, yes, I think you're completely right. In my experience, uh, when a guy is uh, under pressure to perform, it uh, puts pressure on the female in the equation or the person yes. with the with the vagina. And uh, I mean, women have to mentally be there to be able to orgasm. And it's especially hard to orgasm from, from penetrative sex. And so yes, um, the mindset's so important. And I also think it goes both ways, though, where if, if a man has is having issues withholding, I'm sorry, wow, not withholding. If a man is having issues maintaining an erection, yes. I think that women have a tendency to take it personally. That is true. I come across that a lot. It's very difficult to overcome that sometimes in couples. So I, I do think it goes both ways. Um, mm, very much really, so. Really interesting. Uh, I think ultimately we just, you know, being a little bit kinder to each other and being less hard right. on ourselves. <laughs> I think that you're absolutely right there. I think, you know, um, most times when couples present to me with what they think is a physical problem, one way or the other, the woman doesn't get wet enough or maybe she's too tight or whatever it is, or the man, as you say, doesn't find her an erection. There is nearly always an emotional and relational issue going on between the two of them. Yes. And the, 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 the tragedy is that some that we either think in terms of, well, it's his problem or her problem. And actually, it's not. It's a relationship problem. Right. And yeah, uh, when the relationship is working, actually, erections don't matter that much. There's loads mm -hmm. of intimate things you can do which don't need an erection. Of course, it's lovely to have penetrative sex. But if you take the pressure off yourself by thinking, actually, well, we just want to spend time and be intimate with each other, and maybe penetration will happen, maybe it won't, but we're not going to put pressure on ourselves. Um, that's the best sex for me. Absolutely. Because sex ultimately is about connection and being intimate. And um, Yeah, absolutely. It's not, I mean, orgasms are great, right? But Indeed, they uh, are, very much so. My partner and I say all the time, um, we're like, it's not about that. So sometimes... No. You know, I'll I'll start feeling a little insecure or something if you know he doesn't come. Um, sure. To his credit, he he never asks me. He's very confident. <laughs> I know. That, that's you know, really nice. Fun, uh, but you know, sometimes I'll get a little self conscious and be like, oh, like you know. But uh, it's not about that. It's about feeling close um, and about mm -hmm. connecting um, on a deeper level. So I think um, you're absolutely right. Do you know the, the, the person who, again, is, is another influence on me? Um, I've, I've also trained in um, sexual grounding therapy, which I'll talk more about. But, you know, um, have you come across the writings of Diana Richardson? It sounds familiar, but I don't yeah, think She wrote a book okay. called Slow Sex, which Ooh. is really brilliant. Um, I mean, it's basically... Um, 
saying the same thing as we're just saying, you know, mm-hmm. actually, this is about connection, this is about intimacy, um, and maybe orgasms aren't important at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, she runs these lovely workshops, which I've been on, in fact, where you have sex with your partner privately in your own room. It's not anything you know, answerable like that. Um, but you deliberately don't have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and like edging, you, but like with a partner. That's that. Or I think there's something in, I think you did have in America called Careza. I don't know if you've come across that. Ooh. I, I read about no, it I'm in my research for my book. It was, okay. um, it's, it, it, yeah, I think you, I can't remember the spelling of it. I think it's spelled with a K, K A R E double Z A. It's worth, I, when I was doing the research, for my book, I was looking at um, religion and sexuality as part of my book, and I came across this in a book on um, uh, sexuality and religion. But anyway, oh, so, that's so cool! Yeah, it, I'm looking it, it up now. <laughs> okay, see, see if you can. I don't know whether I've spelt it right, so you mean? Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. You got it. A-A-R-E-Z-Z-A. Yeah, I will link a uh, in the episode notes. I will add um, sure. this article that I just found. Apparently, it comes from the Italian word caressa, meaning caress. Indeed. So. But it was, a, I think it became quite, I, I don't know what, it was in the 20th century. It started to, it has, a, has religious connections as well. Sure. I think. Yeah, that is so cool. Anyway, there's a lot of reference material I can send you if it's useful. Yeah, absolutely. I sure. want it all. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a reference for the book I got it out of. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's, I think it was called The Secrets of, I don't know, Mysticism or something. It was sure. by a guy called Verschluss. And I, I'll, anyway, I need to send that to you because I can't remember any of the spellings <laughs> of these words. And we don't have no time. No problem. Um, well, so let's get into the, the uh, aging part of it. I guess my, my first question on that is what is one of the primary things that you wish people understood about sex, relationships, and aging and how they okay. to each other? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I guess there's different things. One is that sex isn't just for young, good-looking people. <laughs> you know, I guess most people kind of know that in themselves, but there are a number of people who I see as couples and they say things to me like, well, of course, you know, you don't expect sex to last, you know, as you get older. And I think, why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I think sex changes. This is the thing. I think this is important to recognize. As we get older, of course, we're not having sex to have children. And there isn't that possibility. That can be liberating on both yes. sides, particularly. I am looking forward to those days. <laughs> for, for women and not having to either take the pill or yeah. either of you to have to use contraception. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are downsides, but, you know, because the lubrication isn't so easy and for the man, you don't get an erection so easily. But, you know, um, you have lube, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it can – one of the things we say um, – in sexual grounding, we don't tend to use the word aging. We call it ripening. Okay. Mm. 
So you don't eat an unripe fruit. You wait till it's it's ripe. It gets juicier and it gets sweeter. Mm -hmm. And it can be so with sex because, you know, if you're prepared to learn about what works and doesn't work, either for you, your partner, or in general, or what is good, what feels good to you, and you can experiment um, when you're not fixated on getting things right. And as you say, the, the orgasms, you're not chasing orgasms, either of you. That is can happen with age. So what I wish people knew is that they have a whole lifetime ahead of them. If I was speaking to young people, you know, and I do work with quite a lot of young people, I can say to them, you've got your whole life ahead of you during which you can have sex. So you don't have to be in such a hurry to get it right. You can let it evolve in itself. You can learn from it. You can be much more relaxed about it. Uh, You know, so all all of those sort of things that you, it's not going to stop when you reach I don't know thirty five, forty five, fifty five, sixty five, seventy five. You know why? <laughs> why should it? Right, your body's still working. Your body's a body. A body is a body at that age, and equally, your capacity for intimacy increases. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that there's a correlation of what you just said, the um, point of an increase in intimacy? Do you think so? Biologically, women hit men hit their sexual peak in their like early 20s, I think. Correct. Indeed, that's what they tell me. <laughs> and women tend to hit it later in life in their 40s and 50s. Um, do you think that there's a correlation there between the better sex that women tend to have as they get older and the intimacy? Do you know, I, I'm not, I, I saw this, uh, you know, when you, I looked at the list of the questions that you sent me, and I, and I thought, yeah, I have thought about this earlier. The way I'm thinking about it now is I'm not sure what we mean by reaching the sexual peak. Um, yeah, I don't know either. It's just a thing that because, people say, right? <laughs> you know, I guess for a lot of guys, we can do it a lot. It means what is it? We could, you know, in my twenties, <laughs> boasting. Yeah, you could do it three, four, five times in a day, and it's not a problem, you know. Um, now it's once or twice if I'm lucky, you know. But so if that's what we mean by the sexual peak, then when we get a bit older, I'm thinking of that from my age of uh, sixty-nine. You know, why is that important? I guess yeah. when I was 22, 23, I was very ignorant about what made good sex. And so obviously if it didn't feel quite good enough the first time, then I could do it again and get it better. And, you know, typically, I'm, you know, when you're 20-something as a guy, controlling your ejaculation is much more difficult. So it swings and roundabouts. So, okay, I probably did come pretty soon the first time. So if I'm with a woman, I can say to her, well, don't worry. I'm fine for doing it again in, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. You know Just what I mean? 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, they say yes. Yes. And that's fine, you know. Um, so, you know, so that's 
a kind of sexual peak. And I guess for the woman that made it a bit different because then she wouldn't worry about the fact that I'd come too soon because right. I'd, uh, you know, she knew I was up for it again. I don't know how that works. I think with women, what we were saying maybe about the menopause or maybe mm -hmm. is um, getting more relaxed as they get older or more familiar with their own bodies, that might mm -hmm. be a factor in reaching the peak later. I don't know of any research on that. I'd have to ask some of the women in my life what they, uh, what their experience is. Yes, I'd definitely be be interested. I I've always assumed that it, like that for men, sexual peak was about libido, but for women, sexual peak may have more to do with like ability to orgasm. But I could be wrong on that. So. Well, I think for women, what they you know what the women I talk to or the principal woman I talk to, which is my wife, um, you know, I think that's more to do with the woman's familiarity with her own right. body and that's what bad. makes her, you know, what turns her on. And a lot of women, you know, when I talk to female colleagues who do specific work with uh, women who have difficulties in sex, letting go, having orgasm, whatever, yeah. um, it is about familiarity with their own body. And uh, what they generally tend to kind of encourage women to do is to spend time exploring their mm -hmm. bodies themselves, uh, yeah. you know, rather, so that they know what is, um, you know, what feels good to them. So I suspect that it's more about that. Yeah, you know. I suspect that that's uh, correct. Um, and, and I suppose the other thing really is also this assumes, again, that we've got two separate beings here. But, you know, and solo sex is great and I don't, that's, that's absolutely fine. But we're talking, I was talking about sex in relationship Right. And for a lot of women who are younger, maybe they're relating to a lot of men who don't know how to be intimate in a relationship. Yes. Uh, well, I certainly didn't when I was in my 20s. <laughs> yes, but I think that's why, you know, I'm, I'm 30. And um, I think that's why a lot of women in my 20s were just talking about like what cads men are. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. The intimacy more than anything else. So yeah. And when you and, and what you were saying was that a woman needs to be in the right mindset, mind mm -hmm. place. And that my experience of what women tell me, uh, both in my personal and professional life, is that includes this uh, openness, vulnerability, mm -hmm. and so on. Oh, yeah. To vulnerability is a turn on. <laughs> yeah. And so many men don't get that. Yes. I'm so surprised. I didn't get it myself, you know, earlier on in my life. I, I have to admit, of course, it's a learning process for us all. But I think that's why as uh, women, you know, traditionally have been attracted to men who are a little bit older than they are. And I think that definitely I, you know, I have friends who are dating and they, you know, are dating men who are maybe eight or nine or 10 years older than them. And what they say is that it's, there's just a more of a maturity. And I think that has to do with. I think that's I think that's great. Um, there are other there are other kind of there was there were sort of pluses and minuses to that uh I, either way but i i get i get what they are looking for mm -hmm. and uh it's a shame that the young men that we have um 
don't have that level of maturity. There's a way that we think about this in sexual grounding, which kind of is also connected with Tantra a little bit. Yes, we yes. say that um, sex needs to involve the heart as well as the genitals. And for women need to connect at a heart level before they are open at a genital level. I don't know whether that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does, um, yes. <laughs> and men tend to lead more with their genitals. And so what the work I do with a lot of men is to, as you say, get them to recognize that the vulnerability, which I would say another way of expressing that is an open-heartedness, mm-hmm. will enable the woman to be uh, relaxed. And therefore, in some sense, you said it's a turn-on. It, it is is exactly what we're saying. Quite a lot is written about that in, in, the, in the world of Tantra. And as I say, Diana Richardson writes quite a lot about that. But this is also something that uh, we work with in sexual grounding. That's, That's really fascinating. And one of the just, I don't know if I can go on a little bit. One of the things we were talking about men and their level of maturity and maybe being able to allow themselves to be vulnerable and not so worried about proving stuff to themselves or to other people is comes down to their relationships with their fathers. Ah. You know, and if you haven't had the example of a father who is able to be in touch with his heart and to help you to understand that um opening your heart isn't life-threatening, <laughs> mm. then uh, you're more likely as a young man to be able to um, open your heart to your female partner, mm. which is the, the, the kind of maturity that uh, a lot of your friends are looking for in, in a man. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting too. I, I love how when you look at the causes, it kind of always comes back to your relationships with your parents, doesn't it? There is an awful lot about this. And I think, you know, a lot of, just to put in a bit of detail, I mean, tell me if I'm giving you too much here, but, you know, um, one of the things that people like Freud and Reich uh, were aware of was the whole significance of the Oedipal phase of development. Yes. Um, where um, I think they got it wrong in different ways, but um, and that um, having parents who responded to a five, six-year-old child who is becoming aware of their own sexuality in a childish way at that stage, and sometimes there's a lot of prohibition about that, like don't play with your penis, don't play with your vagina, don't open your legs, right. you know, for girls, you know. And kids of that age are fascinated with their genitals mm-hmm. and fascinated with their parents and, you know, what's the difference and all of that, become aware of that. And there's so much prohibition on that. Yeah. And so we don't internalise a good sense of ourselves sexually. Um, and then later on at the adolescent stage that gets repeated but with added hormones and parents don't know how to react really often to their children's 
emerging sexuality in a supportive way. Yeah, mm. I think that's uh, – I actually was just telling my partner. So I, I started masturbating really, really young. I was like three. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents uh, were investigated, I think, because apparently if you start masturbating young, it's a sign that you were potentially abused. And so, oh, it's oh, such a pity. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it was – I even went to a therapist a few years back and, you know, talked to her about this. And she was like, well, you must have been abused then. And I was like, I really don't think so. <laughs> but no. I mean, that just goes to show, like you said, people are, are really interested in children are really interested in, in their bodies and in the bodies around them. And I just think it's it's really sad that, uh, you know, that we pathologize are- it in some way. I mean, what uh, Willem Papelius says is that there is an innocence about that. So for a kid, yeah, yeah, genitals feel exciting, but mm-hmm. there's no real difference between, yeah, touching your nose and touching your vulva. What, right. Why is it different? It's not. Exactly. It's a part of your body. And it's we have a concept that um, there are four things around sexuality. There's excitement, curiosity, innocence, and regulation. Okay. Mm-hmm. The genitals that are innocent, they're exciting, and we're curious about them. Now, obviously, when you're coming into a family, yeah, it's great. So you might want to show off your genitals to your parents or whatever. And at the same time, you have to learn at some level, it's not okay to do it at school or to do it in front of, you know, adults (laughs) that are not in the family. So that's where the regulation comes in. But you can do that in a way, and I say this in my book, you can say, okay, it's fine. You've got a lovely penis. I like it. It's just like your dad's when he was, you know, and it'll grow as big as your dad's. All of that stuff (laughs) needs to be part of the child's life experience. And at the same time, this is great in the family, but, you know, don't exactly. just do it any old way because it could be dangerous, just like you teach kids to cross the road or exactly. whatever. It's the same thing. You don't have to shame them or get them to feel bad about it. Right. Well, so that's development. You know, we kind of like jumped from the 20s to like childhood. But like, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. Okay, no, let's, no, no, no. It's all fantastic. I, I just want to make sure that you get in your time to talk about your book and, and what you specifically want to talk about, which is uh, – uh, sex and ripening, but I think that what we just talked about is a great background for that. It really. Well, I think stage. obviously that's where you lay the foundations, right. and if those foundations are there, obviously we're talking about ideal worlds. Then, as you develop, the whole of your sexuality moves through different phases. So, obviously, when we're in our twenties, sort of we're probably going to get interested in meeting hopefully a life partner Mm -hmm. and as we go through the 20s into the 30s probably having some children of our own and then negotiating the different stages of how our sexuality evolves Mm. um and uh, you know it right up to aging clearly by that time either you've had children or you've decided you're not going to have them and typically in the 50s uh, 60s whatever children will leave home 
So then you've got to think, well, okay, I'm not a full-time mom or dad anymore. So right. here I am in my relationship with this person. How am I going to spend the next 20, 30 years? And I guess that's a point at which a lot of people evaluate their relationships. Mm -hmm. So there's two choices that we can make. Well, there are probably three. Obviously, some people at that stage think, God, I'm with the wrong person here. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know. Um, equally, you can do what I guess from my perspective my parents did, which was they kind of ended up being together because that's what they were comfortable with, but they ended up kind of living what I call parallel lives. Mm. Or you can say, well, this is the next stage of the adventure of our relationship. Yeah. And hopefully you'd have to ask my wife about this, but I think that's <laughs> where we are at the moment. That's you know, it's, it's a lovely stage to have reached. And actually you, the, my experience is the relationship deepens and deepens. You will never, ever find out everything about this person that you've come together with, however long you spend with them. And uh, I think that includes sex. I mean, again, I'm t talking a lot about my own life, and fair enough, you know, I'm ha happy to do that. Yeah. But <laughs> it never, it, it's never the same twice. I have yeah. to say, uh, you know, because um, it's always something a little different. You know, I'm in a different place. She's in a different place, you know, and it's not, it's certainly not so compulsive. We're much more relaxed about it. And, uh, you know, it's, things happen. You get an erection, you don't get an erection. Nothing's a big deal. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you have that trust between. I think that's the so important long, thing. Right? I'm glad you brought that word in. Yeah, I think you have to trust that um, you there is a relationship there that has, I don't know, durability to it that is not, you know. You're neither of you going to think, oh, dear, the sex wasn't very good the last time we did it. Well, I'm going to go and find someone else. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying younger people do that, but, you know, it, it, it's not, it, it feels like, well, we've been together this time and we've, you know, we're not, you know, nobody's going anywhere. So, you know, if it wasn't quite how we wanted it to be, we could talk, well, what wasn't right for you? Can, you know, can we do this differently? And, you know, how do we work on it to keep it fresh, to keep it alive, you know? And uh, there is a commitment there to doing that. Absolutely. And I, I think what, too, what's important to remember is you can start experimenting at any age. I think that's true, yeah. If, you're, if you've never tried, you know, uh, something a little kinkier like bondage or role play or even, you know, something even harder than that, like you can start doing that whenever you want. <laughs> yes, I guess rules. you could. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, you may be right and certainly that that's something that some people do. I'm wondering, um, you know, with that sort of when, when you're looking at experimentation in in that uh way 
My concern with that, I mean, on the one hand, I think, well, if anybody, anything anybody wants to do that's consensual is fine. I mean, that's my attitude. As a therapist, I wonder what is being displaced onto that. I understand that. You do. Okay. I'm glad you understand that because I think that's important. Because what I often find is things like, um, it, it, the, the more, I don't know, what, what I would see as third things coming into the relationship. Like if you get into, say, a role play, in a way for me that goes against this idea of me being everything I am in my relationship. Sure. So, yeah, it's a role. I mean, it's a role. Like so, okay, yeah. <laughs> if that's part of me, and I think, well, what is that role and what does it mean, you know, for me? What does it symbolize? Because I, I guess that the bottom line is I'm a therapist. So, you know, for me, things have a, a surface meaning and things have a also sometimes a symbolic meaning. Yes. So I'm always curious about that. That's kind of a delicate line to tread in this day and age, because I think the prevailing kind of uh, kind of belief is that whatever people want to do is fine, and in a way, literally, I I do support that. Whatever you want to do is fine, and if it helps you to discover bits of who you are, well, fair enough. Yeah. But you could there are other ways of discovering who you are. Well, the That's, way that uh, I kind of look at it is. Do you know the why behind the action? Okay, like, that's like, interesting. You know, like, so let's say, you know, this is just an example. Um, let's say that I'm really interested in trying something with, and this requires a lot of emotional intelligence, right? Say I'm really interested in trying something with my partner. I want to think about, so is this something that I want to do? What is the reasoning for me want to do it? Am I trying to escape something? Am I not getting something out of our emotional relationship that I'm trying to do? Absolutely. That's absolutely so. it. Yeah, you've got it. That's brilliant. That's, that's, a, that's a good understanding. Yeah. So I think there are some people who really just do enjoy, you know what? Absolutely. And if they do, so. that's absolutely fine. And it's not for me. I guess it depends. It's like everything else. If whatever people like doing, if people don't want to have sex at all or, you know, Uh, you know that's also fine if they come into my consulting room and they one of the couple wants to have sex and the other one is now no longer interested in it then we have to do some processing of that and see what it means and what is you know and how has this arisen and so on and so forth it might well come out and i do say to couples this well you know if we do come to the conclusion that, you know, one of you really just doesn't want sex and the other one really does, then you have to face that. What's the consequence for your relationship? And sure. and when we work with that. How does that kind of play into um, aging, like sex drive and interest in sex? Um, you know, just okay. been, you know, been doing it for so long with the same person. No, it, 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 it see, this is where, yeah, again, I take a slightly different attitude because if we assume that sex is about connection, which we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. then the concept of sex drive is not so important. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, that there is a, you know, it goes back to Freud really and to a certain extent, right? He came up with this idea of 
um, what he called cathexis and catharsis, which are too complicated words, basically a build-up of some sort of charge or like an electrical charge, mm. and you have an orgasm and that discharges this char- this built-up charge. And that was a theory that was around in, uh, I don't know, the 20s and 30s, and it kind of made sense in terms of the way physiology was thought of at that time. If we see it slightly differently that sex, we have a connection with each other, and through that connection we build up a mutual energy which could go into orgasm, then it's not a question of um, the that we could have, um, yeah, I build up this backlog of sexual energy that I need to discharge by having sex, you know. So to that extent, I don't, I'm not kind of particularly, um, you know, into the idea of sex drive per se. Interest in sex, again, is I would want to be looking at interest in connection and what mm-hmm. forms of connection somebody has or wants. So often when we restore the intimacy to the relationship, then the sexual interest rekindles itself. Definitely. No, that's uh, fantastic. I That makes a ton of sense to me. I've never really thought about it that way before. Mm-hmm. But so there's a difference between sex drive and uh, like interest in sex. And, I think so. Uh, okay. Mm. Well, so, why don't you tell me uh, a little bit about your book? The book, okay. Um, the book really came about because I, as I, say, I did this training in this uh, sexual grounding therapy, which is a psychosexual therapy. And as part of the um, training, I needed to write a thesis. And not very much has been written about sexual grounding therapy. Um, the uh, founder or the originator of sexual, ther- uh, sexual grounding therapies, Willem Papelius, is uh, a really brilliant guy, but writing is not his strong point. So there was one kind of very small book which went into some of the theory, but I felt that what it was needed was to put the um, sexual grounding therapy into a context. So um, to, that's to say, so what I do in the book is I look at the whole history of sexuality and how sexuality has been thought about um, since the earliest times um, and some of the reasons why I believe that we have so many sexual difficulties in the present day. I tend to think about that in terms of the relationship between sexuality and religion and sexuality and society that actually that um, uh, if people are able to have fulfilling and satisfying sex, they are less easy to control mm. um, because then we don't, they, they aren't in a, a state of um, self-perceived need. So and I don't know, I look at this in terms of things like um, advertising, 
that advertising um, works because we see ourselves as needing to improve ourselves to in, to be to be better people and have have more, and that's often a substitute for what we really want, which is to feel feel fulfilled in ourselves. So I write about that. I put it into that context. I put it in the context of other psychotherapeutic methods sort of some of the more analytic methods, some of the humanistic methods and the sort of cognitive methods. And I also do a very brief sort of survey on um, other ways of working with sexuality. So I look at Tantra and um, uh, sex sex coaching, um, sexological body work, and there's also an offshoot. Um, there, there was other, other, what I would call non-mainstream ways of working with sexuality. Um, I look at the relationship between um, the um, uh, sexual grounding therapy and science. So is there a scientific basis to it and whether science can establish that or not? And just generally um, looking at where psychosexual therapy and, psych- and psychotherapy in general fits in with society. Um, so it's quite wide ranging, the book, anyway. Yeah, I, I'm i sold. I'm going to pre-order it uh, if that's possible. It is available on Amazon in the States or it's published by Routledge. Um, yes. I don't know. I think it is going to be printed in the States. So you might, okay. if you get it directly for the, from the publishers, I think at the moment it's slightly cheaper. Okay. The, the, yeah, the, it's funny. I think I told you I actually used to work for that publishing company. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. So, well, you might manage to get a discount then. Yeah, right. Uh uh, is there anything else you wanted to share before we sign off for the day? Well, I'm just to say it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I know I've ranged around a lot, lot of topics. And I hope um, what I've said has made enough sense to oh, you and to your listeners. No, it's so it's fascinating. You've been you've been a lovely guest to have on. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I've enjoyed it. Great. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. I am your host, Rachel. This has been Wine, Dine, and 69. Go check out Jeff's book. Jeff, what is the book called? It's called Sexual Grounding Therapy, Context, Theory, and Practice. And it will be published on the 17th of May. Perfect. All right, everybody, let's keep talking. Mm -hmm.